0: welcome back to the unashamed truth podcast where we aim to help you understand and embrace god-centered theology at its heart the reformation was a return to the word of god it was a return to the centrality of scripture into the heart and life of every believer. In today's episode, Grant continues to answer the question for us, what is Reformation theology? More than being simply a historical movement during the 16th century, the Reformation was a return to biblical Christianity that has affected all subsequent generations of believers let's listen to grant as he opens the word of god for us
1: the reformation at its heart was a recovery of the word of god it was a recovery of the centrality of the bible in the christian life before in the 1500s the only bible that you would have is a copy of the latin vulgate which jerome translated a thousand years before and oftentimes that Vulgate would be there on the, the the lectern in the church, but nobody knew how to read it. Uh, the the church said if you want to interpret it, you need professors from the University of Paris, or you need the Pope, or you need the Cardinals to tell you what it says. Just trust us. The councils and the professors will tell you what is in the Bible. So people had no idea what the Bible actually they, they, they didn't know its contents. They just, the church just said, look, just trust us on what it says. You need to just know that we know. And really, your faith then wasn't really in the Word. It was in the church. If you were to ask a, a medieval person, you know, what's your faith in, they, say, they would say, well, I don't really know what I believe, but I know that my priest does, I hope. That's what they would tell you. During this time in the 1500s, there was a movement called the Renaissance, and the, the people in the Renaissance, they were, the, the leaders were called humanists, and they were scholars who wanted to recover ideas and virtues from the past, and they said the way to do that is we need to go back to the original sources that prompted those ideas. So their watch phrase was this, these two Latin words, ad fontis, which means to the fountain or to the source. And they started going back to, for example, Virgil and Homer and Plato and, and these ancient texts. And they said, we want to read these because we want, to, we want to be transported back to Athens. We want to understand what the philosophers thought. And we want to, to get back to, to that and not just go through all this scholastic medieval jargon that's been there for the past thousand years. We want to go all the way back. Well, this guy named Erasmus, who was a humanist, very brilliant person, published... A Greek New Testament in 1516. And all of these scholars that, that were Christians, Christians, you know, they're, they're, they have this desire to go back to the early church. And when this Greek New Testament was published, it was volcanic, it was the book on the market. And that's what Luther got a hold of. That's what Zwingli got a hold of. And they started pouring through the text of the New Testament and, and, and just devouring it. And, and, and with this desire to, let's go back. If we are going to recover biblical Christianity, let's go back to the very beginning. So there was this lifting up of, of Scripture. On January 1st, 1518, in the town of Zurich, Switzerland, Ulrich Zwingli says, I'm going to do something different. Before the, uh, the Catholic Church would tell you what to preach in your homily, you know, it, the scripture would be listed and, and everything was by the book. He said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start preaching verse by verse through the entire New Testament. And he started in Matthew 1, 1 on January 1st, 1518. The people filled the church. One historian I read said people were more excited and stunned to go hear the preaching of the word of God directly than they were at the news that Christopher Columbus had discovered the new world. This was earth to them, earth-shattering, that someone would preach from the Bible and that they could hear it in their own language and know it and understand it. So there was this lifting up of the word of God that said this truly is God's word and therefore it's our authority. So when Luther would stand at the Diet of Worms in 1521, he said to the charges, unless I'm convinced by scripture and plain reason I do not accept the authority of popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. God help me. Amen. So it was this return to the Bible. Third, it was an understanding that man... Is spiritually depraved. It's an understanding that man is spiritually depraved. This doesn't mean that man is, every man is a criminal. It doesn't mean that every man is as bad as they possibly could be. It doesn't mean that every person is a Hitler or a Stalin or a Pol Pot. But what it means is, is that you cannot contribute anything to your salvation other than the sin which makes it necessary. You don't, you don't save yourself. And what Rome had been teaching, I'm going to explain it more in depth in a minute, is that you cooperate with God in order to, to basically achieve your salvation. God does his part, and you lock arms with God, and you do your part. And in so doing, you cooperate with God and put yourself in this stream of salvation. And what Luther and all the reformers said is, no, salvation is by grace alone. Grace alone. Because Romans 3.10 says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. No one seeks for God. It's all by divine grace. And that's point number four, is the necessity of divine grace. That salvation is entirely a work of grace. Salvation is a gift. Salvation is something that God does. It is monergistic, which means it's one-handed. It is God reaching down with his mighty arm to save. It is Christ in his finished work, what Christ accomplished. It is God's foreordination. It is God's irresistible grace. Um, I was reading about the work of Christ and how Luther came to understand the work of Christ. This is one historian. He said, quote, Luther's first lectures in 1513 to 1515 were on the Psalms. He worked diligently and he lectured on them, faithfully taking up the psalms in numerical sequence. The study of the 22nd psalm brought illumination. This psalm begins with the words which Christ quoted upon the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Luther was suddenly arrested by that word forsaken as he had been by the lightning earlier in his experience. And that's another story. I'll get to that later. Christ forsaken? What could this mean? Forsaken, abandoned, alienated, and estranged from God? That was precisely the way Luther felt. Christ had experienced all this too? But why? Luther knew why he felt forsaken. God is pure, and man is impure. God is strong, man is weak. But Christ was not impure, Christ was not weak. Why then was he forsaken? The answer must be that he who was without sin for our sakes became sin and so identified himself with sinful humanity as to take unto himself the iniquity of us all and to sense such a solidarity with mankind as to share in the estrangement from God. What a picture of Christ is this. The judge upon the rainbow has become the derelict upon the cross. He is still the judge and must be so long as truth judges error and right judges wrong. But in the very act of judging the sinner, he has made himself one with the sinner, assuming his punishment and sharing in his very guilt End quote. So Luther understood, and the reformers understood for the first time what Christ had accomplished: that Christ had a finished atonement on the cross, that Christ died in their place, for their sins. And that through faith, they could find forgiveness immediately at the throne of grace. That they could be, in a word, justified. And they looked at text like Romans 3.20. And, and this is where they articulated their doctrine of faith alone. Romans 3.20 says, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Justified is a declaration from God. He says, By doing good works, Paul says, No one will be justified in God's sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Paul says in Galatians 2.16, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. We also believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So it's faith apart from works that justifies the sinner. And how that happens is through that work of Christ that the work of Christ is given to you completely as a gift. It's not earned. It's by grace. And that's sola gratia, that salvation is by grace alone. Paul says, Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved. Grace is a gift through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It is of grace, all of grace the moment that you insert the first personal pronoun in the in the salvation conversation you're on the wrong foot because now you're trying to say this is what i did you did nothing christ did everything god does everything that's that's the reformation and that's pauline christianity that's biblical christianity
0: Reformation theology serves as both an anchor and a compass, guiding us back to the core of what it means to be a follower of Christ. It challenges us to saturate our minds and hearts in Scripture and find our joy and hope in the glorious truths of justification by faith alone in Christ alone, by grace alone, for the glory of God alone. Thank you for joining us today for the Unashamed Truth Podcast with Grant Castleberry. Grant is the Senior Pastor of Capital Community Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Find out more about Unashamed Truth by visiting our website, unashamedtruth.org. Also consider becoming a ministry partner by giving a consistent monthly gift which ensures that we can continue this outreach in the months ahead. Don't forget to subscribe to Unashamed Truth so that you will never miss an episode. Until next time, it is our prayer that you continue in your journey to understand and embrace God-centered theology.